Well, thank you. Uh, Brian is my biggest fan, so this is good. No. <laughs> and Romaru. It's good to be here with you all. You know, it's funny. I was, I was thinking, I'm like, normally when someone gets up to speak, one of the first things they say, it's, it's, good, it's good to be here, right? I'm excited to be here. Like, you always hear that phrase. And so I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a little bit of the urban you know, aspect and element and language into this morning's meeting. And so a lot of the students like to say lit. You guys ever heard of that, the word lit? So it's, it's lit to be here. Can I use that? Is that okay? All right. So it's, I'm joking. But it's good to be here with you all. And uh, I got a chance just to share a little bit about, um, you know, the work that I do. But more so um, what has shaped me, the, 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 the stories, the, um, the experiences that have shaped me, um, and how God has used that um, to kind of set me up where I'm at today, the calling that God has called me to. And then I would love for us to talk more about how does that even pertain to us as a group. And so kind of picking up some elements, you know, from my, my story and just kind of trying to apply that to all of us in the room. And so that's kind of where I want to go uh, this morning. Before I jump into some specifics and even show a video, um, I want to introduce my family. They're not here, but they're on the screen. So let's see if this, uh, how does this look? Is it, all right, there you go. That's not too bad. So those are, those are my four kids. Um, I met my wife in, at the King's College. We were uh, doing uh, ministry. I was kind of interning for the ministry. She was volunteering. And so we met. We were sitting uh, around the round table. And, like, I just had this feeling in my stomach. And I'm like, what is that? Is it the, the lunch that I just ate? But it was butterflies. And I'm, like, you know, nervous and whatever. And we, that first day we both shared our testimony. And so it was cool to be able to hear her experience and, you know, for her to hear mine as well. And uh, pursued it for two years. You know, there was a season where she kind of, pushed me to the side, and I was like, God, what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> but we got married, and we have four kids. Our oldest is Jeremiah, so he's six. Um, uh, this is my daughter, Ellie. She's four. Eliana, she's four. Our son, Philip, he, uh, he's two, two and a half, and then our youngest is Selah Joy. She's, uh, she's a year and a half. Um, and they're funny. These kids are hilarious. I remember uh, we were singing a song with Jeremiah, when he was maybe about three or four, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. How many of you guys have heard that song before? And so one night we hear him singing it in his room, and like, oh, what's going on? So we walk into his room, and he's, he's actually singing, I am so bad that Jesus loves me. And I'm like, all right. I mean, he has his doctrine is kind of correct. So, I mean, that, that got good theology. But, we, you know, we're trying to help him along. And then our, our youngest, Ellie, she, we call her our spark. She just has, like, a ton of energy. And I remember even like, this was like two weeks ago, she was talking to Jeremiah. She's like, yeah, I'm going to be in your class. I can't wait to be in your class. And then Jeremiah's like, but you bother me. But you bother me. Like, stay away from me. So they, they're, they're, they, they have a little bit of sibling rivalry, rivalry. And then our youngest, she kind of pulls, I feel like she pulls the family together. And then Philip, we call him our scholar. He's just always looking at books. He can't read yet, but he's always looking at books. And so it's fun to have four kids. Um, in the city, it is challenging, right? For those that have kids, it's, it's challenging. Um, but we're excited um, to, to do ministry um, here in New York City. This is where God has called us. Uh, again, I share where I, want to, where I would like to go in terms of direction. Um, and many of you guys, how many of you guys have heard of Crew, the ministry Crew? All right, so Crew, <laughs> Crew is the ministry that my wife and I are a part of. And Crew, uh, really, we, it's about three things. Win, win people to Christ, build them in their faith, and then send them out to do the same and so my, I give leadership to our high school division. 
Um, and I just want to show a quick video, kind of like give you a picture of our ministry. Um, and because throughout the time, I'm going to bring stories and I'm going to share stories about people. Um, but I want you guys to get a visual of the students that I, that I minister to, um, the calling that God has placed on my life. It's like a five minutes. All along in my life, God was preparing my heart for, for high school students through the various circumstances that I faced as a young person. Didn't have my dad in my life, never met him. My mom, um, she struggled with alcohol. At a very young age, got taken away and placed in the foster care system. And as I began to grow up, like, man, I really want to be able to help kids like me who have similar stories and, and similar struggles. My name is Moses Sanchez, and I'm the, uh, the crew high school director here in New York City. The idea of being able to connect with high school students was really sort of uh, what kind of drew me in. Started out going to the, the various high schools and talking and being a role model, being a mentor. Um, just I live in life with young people. Really, that's, that's my heart. That's my vision is just coming alongside them because a lot of them don't have uh, those role models in their life. What led me to join full-time staff was really coming to the point, you know, God calling me into full-time ministry. And I finally said, God, okay, I'm going to obey that call, I really want to live that out. And I knew that meant working with uh, high school students and I knew that meant joining crew. The high school age is so crucial. I know for me, that's when I came to know the Lord. And, and so I just think that's such a crucial period where you're asking, you're asking life questions. You're asking, why am I here? What's my purpose on earth? And so I just think a lot of the questions you're dealing with is a perfect age. I think of a, a young girl who, um, because of our influence, is now going to college. I think of a, a young man who, um, whose connection with us has helped him to, to, to view women in, in a sense of respect and, and honor, something that he hasn't been able to do before and, and now he's able to. Or kids who, who have needs, like they need, need food on the table, being able to help them with providing food. There's a beauty in being able to, to reach high school students, helping to change things that are going to affect generations to come, all because you chose to invest into a high school student. There is a need. You know, as the scripture always tells us, you know, the, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So if there's anything that I've said that resonates with you, we'd love for you to be a part of what we're doing. That, that's more of a, a, a recruitment pitch for, for people to join ministry. So, I mean, if you want to join our ministry, you can. We will take that. <laughs> But uh, I just wanted to give you guys a visual, a picture of kind of the students that I work with, um, the ministry that I do, um, and then I'm just going to, you know, kind of go a little bit deeper into a little bit of my story, because again, my calling and what I do now in the present has, has been shaped by the things that I've experienced here in New York City. And so, you know, I grew up here in New York City, um, South Bronx, uh, into, I would say, a life of poverty, didn't know, didn't know my dad. I know very little bit about him. Uh, I grew up with a mom who, because of her, her upbringing, because of the brokenness that she experienced, she, she made some poor choices as she got older. Um, and I understand that when you understand the context, when you understand people's story, you understand sometimes the decisions that they make. Um, and so she got involved with crack cocaine young. Um, you know, I actually learned last year that she, she quit crack cocaine cold turkey when we got taken away as kids the first time. That's, from what I hear, that's really hard to do, to quit like that. But she quit, um, but she turned to alcohol, and alcohol was really what kind of destroyed and messed up our family. One summer night, my older sister, Angie, 
um, got into an argument. She was 14 at the time. She actually had her first child when she was 14. She got into an argument with my mother about the baby. My mom was drunk. Uh, cops came to the house. And you know, just a few minutes later, I'm not, well, it seemed like probably more than a few minutes, but I'm in front of my building, kind of hanging out. And uh, my mom comes down the stairs. She tells me to run. You know, I'm eight years old at the time. If your mom tells you to run, what are you going to do? Run. So I took off down the street. My mom and my little sister, Christina, Christina is, are behind us, and the cops are behind, behind them. I remember, I come around a corner, uh, and, you know, I'm pretty fast, but I remember I come around this corner, and I'm watching everybody else come around the corner. The cops tackle my mother to the ground. She's drunk. She's resisting arrest. So they use force. I still remember the black and blues when I got to the precinct that night. Just my mom had, she had to take off her shirt, and I still remember the black and blues that covered her, her, her back. I understand she was resisting arrest. It was probably excessive force. Um, but we, at that night, we got taken away placed in the foster care system in New York City. One year alone, five different schools, five different homes, and, and actually less than a year. In some of these homes, I would cry myself to sleep. Um, it, was, it was just the reality. It was just part of, part of the story. Um, but eventually, I got placed with a lady who would become my adopted mother at the age of 15. And that, you know, I, I share that um, because it's like God was using, God was using broken he was using difficulties. He was using challenging situations to prepare my heart. And I remember as a little kid laying in some of these rooms and some of these homes and saying, like, I do not want this for my kids. Even as an eight-year-old kid, God was already transforming my heart and saying and preparing me for the calling that I, that I do today, for the, for the, um, the ministry that I'm a part of today. Um, and so God used the foster care system for that. At the age of 15, like I said, I got adopted by a lady named Ada, who uh, is my adopted mother today. Still have a great relationship with my mother. I'll share a little bit more about that um, a little bit. But God, take again. Um, that at age 15 was also another transforming decision when I decided to give my life to Christ, and I said I want to follow Jesus at the age of 15. And I think a lot of that shapes my desire to work with high school students. You know, I see high school students on the train, and I'm immediately drawn to them. You know, I'm like. I'm 32, but I'm still drawing high school students. I don't know what it is, you know. Um, again, went to the King's College. That's where I met my wife. Uh, we, have, we have four kids. Um, and this is here I am today. So, again, I wanted to share that, give you guys a little bit of, of context to, to that, to that story. And, and one last thing that I want to share in regards to, to the story that got used. Um, this is a couple years ago. I was writing an article uh, for a friend of mine, um, and I began to, I began to cry. And my wife's, look, my wife's across the table from me. It's like, what's going on? But it's, it's actually tears of joy. I'm like, babe, this is it. This is where I got my love for education. And she's like, what? what's going on? And I'm like, babe, okay, there was all these homes I went to, but then the final home that I went to before I, I, I went to Ada's home, who would be my adopted mother, that was the first time that I ever had a male figure in the home. And I'm like, and I remember up until that point, I was bouncing around from all these homes from school to school, and just doing horrible in school. I remember I got a four. I still remember this because it was in red ink, a four on a spelling test. And just, I felt so hopeless and so defeated as a little kid. But this home that I was in, this father figure, he took time every afternoon to help me with my math. I still remember the little beans that he used on the table to say, okay, two beans plus two beans equals what? Or, you know, and, and just, I remember that. And that right there began my love for education because because he took the time, he created the space to connect with me relationally, I began to excel in education. And that was a turning point for me. 
And I share that story because I think a lot of that's, that's my vision for the work that I do is I, I, I like to use the phrase relational moments. I think something happens in relational moments where, man, that, 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 that incident, that story, that, that saying, it, it does something for you. And in that home, that guy did something for me that has helped me. He doesn't even know. I don't even know him anymore. I've never, I've never seen him again. But he changed the course of a young kid's life. And so a lot of what I do, I want to create relational moments for students all over this city, for young people all over this city to, first of all, to know Jesus and then to also excel educationally and edu- excel in life. And so, I, again, I share that just as some context to some of the things I'm going to further talk about. You know, one of the things uh, that one of my buddies said, and I'll put it on the slide right now, he said, leadership is all about influence, and, with, and the way you build influence is through relationships. And, again, that ties a little bit to what I said about relational moments. This idea of relationships are very important. Um, and so I didn't put the name of the person who, who said it because he's just a buddy of mine. He's not that famous yet. <laughs> but I think that's so true that we as leaders, right, for those of you guys, I'm assuming many of you guys lead in, in various uh, industries, um, leadership is all about influence, and the way you develop that is, is through, through relationships. Um, I remember uh, in one of the schools that I was working at and doing ministry at, we had, we had established like this afternoon club, and we had a lot of kids coming. It was off-site at a pizza shop right across the street from the school, um, but eventually a lot of kids, as we, when we moved it on to the school campus, because we had built relationships with the assistant principal, um, we had very little. We had little kid, We had very little kids come out. We had like maybe two to five kids coming out every week. We're like, what? What's going on? And so we actually stopped meeting on the school campus, even though the principal had given us rooms, and even though we could talk about Jesus in the afternoon, we stopped doing that, and we went back to the streets, back to McDonald's where the kids wanted to congregate, and for the next year we just hung out with kids at McDonald's for a whole year on their turf, on their time creating relational space. Just this past April, we did an outreach at the school. I said, I'm going to see if this could work. Could we bring kids back from the streets to the school? We had about 25 kids show up to this outreach. One of the teacher sponsors, who, well, he wasn't even a teacher sponsor. They didn't, we couldn't have it. They didn't, couldn't find a teacher sponsor for us that day. They uh, invited this guy who, who openly, he was openly gay. He's the teacher sponsor for the club. And I'm here talking about Jesus, talking about the gospel to all these kids. Afterwards, the teacher sponsor says, hey, listen, Anytime you need this, let me know. You know, so here's a guy who's so, I mean, from, from our conversations, far from God, but the fact that he was willing to even op- continue to open the door and be it. But it was all about the relationships that we were building with the administration, with the students, and God was, was doing something. So leadership is all about influence, and we developed that through relationships. And I think Jesus did that, right? How did Jesus have such an impact? So today, what did he do? He chose 12 people to be with them, to be with them. He did life with them. He did life with them, relationship. Someone said proximity creates disciples, not not just programs. Proximity creates disciples, not just programs. And so, again, you build influence through, um, through, uh, through relationships. One thing I want to challenge you guys, and as we talk a little bit this morning, is I want to challenge you guys to use your influence, all right? I want to challenge you to use your influence. Andy Crouch, author of the book Culture Making, 
You guys know that? Ever any? Love his books. He's, I mean, it takes me some time to work through them, but I, I get through it. But he said, he asked this question that has just stuck with me um, since I've read it. How can I become a steward investing my cultural power in the dreams and plans of those with less cultural power than myself? I'll read it again. How can I become a steward investing my cultural power in the dreams and plans of those with less cultural power than myself? I think we need to ask ourselves that question. Wherever you, wherever industry you're in, whatever you know, job you're in, this is an important question as believers, as Christians, that we need to wrestle with. God is your stewards. Everything that we have is, is not ours. It's the Lord's. He's given it to us, and we are stewards of that. He's also given us cultural power. He's also given us cultural influence. And how do we use that for those, other, for those that have less? Uh, remember uh, a student by the name of Joshua, and he was actually on the video. He was a kid laying down, like kind of on the video at the very beginning. Um, Joshua, he's in, the, he's in the military now. But a couple years ago, Joshua, he was connected with our work and our ministry. And um, I'm, I was sitting with him outside, and I said, just for, we were talking about some things, and then the next day, I found out that Joshua was shot in the arm. And so I, you know, I'm like, what's going on? You know, he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. He was hanging out with the wrong crowd. But later that, the next week, I visited Joshua um, at his home. But the, the following week, I had, a, I had a meeting with a guy who, um, he's not a believer. He's not a Christian, even though we've talked a lot about faith. But he's a, he's a venture capitalist, right? So he invests in companies. And I just remember him saying, like, he always asked the question, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? I'm like, you really want to do, want to do something? Give your life to Jesus. That's what I always tell him. That's kind of like my, my saying to him. But I said, you know what? I, he goes, I want to help you. I want to help you. Is there any, any way I could help you? I said, you know, Larry, I've never, I've never asked for anything. That's not, that's not me. I, I, I enjoy the relationship. I love talking about things. But there is a young guy by the name of Joshua who I believe potentially could use your help, could use your help. And that summer, Joshua interned with this company, a kid who, who was shot and, and, and on his way to prison because of just this, the, the environment that he was with. But because of the, the, the relationships that I have, I was able to utilize that and leverage that for a young guy in Brooklyn. And that's the idea when I say use your influence. Use your influence. You guys have influence. Use your influence for those that have less cultural influence or less cultural power. You know, I think of the scripture in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where Jesus says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is Paul speaking, that though he was rich, right? You think about Jesus. You think about God. He was rich, yet for our sake, he became poor. He became poor. Incarnation. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Hmm. I think Jesus is an example of someone who used, obviously who used his influence, right? He used his influence. The second thing that I want to talk about this morning is not just use your influence, um, but this is kind of a different topic, a little tangent, but move towards forgiveness. And so much of my vocation, it's, 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 I'm having to, to tell young people, you need to think differently. And obviously, Jesus is the one who helps us think differently, but you need to think differently. And forgiveness is such a, um, it's, it's so paramount. It's one of the conversations I feel like I have every week with students, because forgiveness is something they have a hard time doing. When you've dealt with injustices, when you, when you come from certain environments, when you come, it's hard. There's bitterness that, that builds up. 
I like what uh, Peter Kreef, Peter Kreef, you guys know Peter, Peter Kreef? All right. Kreef. He taught logic for me at, at the King's College. I, I didn't like that class that much. <laughs> Honest confession. <laughs> I think I was, that was one of my lowest grades in all of King's was, was a B minus in his class. Like, oh! So, um, so he said, in his, in, uh, he said, there's never a problem, any problem, misery, or evil in any human relationship that cannot be changed or healed if only two things are present, forgiveness and determination. All the rest is nuts and bolts. I think there's, there's something powerful there. I think Peter Kreef alludes to that. Kreef, Kreef. Peter, Peter K. All right. <laughs> Peter K. Uh, alludes to that, that, that the importance of, of forgiveness. Remember, uh, as a little, little kid, I shared a little bit about my mom. And remember one summer where, and this is, I was already out of the home. And again, I had still had a relationship with my mom. I had gone back to the Bronx. And she was drunk again and caused a big scene. And she kind of rushes out of the house. And everybody's in the apartment and, and just staying there. So I rush out after her. And I remember chasing her down the street. We get to this park. And I still remember it's, it's, it's dark. She's up against a, um, a, a fence, and I'm kind of like holding her, and I'm telling her, Mom, you, and I'm pleading with my mother, Mom, you need to stop. You need to stop drinking. You're, you're, you're continuing to mess up your life. And I just remember my mother, um, she got emotional. And she said, like, pro- she's like, promise me that, promise me that you, you won't do this. Like, you won't live the same life that I'm living. And there was something in her words and in her tears that as I, as I spoke to her, that I was like, I saw past the actions and I saw, that, I saw the, the bondage that she was. I saw the addiction. And I think at that, at, it was in that moment as a, as a, I don't know if I was 10 or 11, I don't know how old I was. But I said, I'm, I'm going to choose to forgive my mother. I'm going to choose to forgive my mother despite what she continues to do. And I remember making a conscious choice as a, as a kid that I'm going to choose when I got saved, I think understanding God's forgiveness helped me even more to move towards forgiveness. It, it, it shed light on some of the gaps that I had. Um, and so much of um, my, my interactions with young people is all about this, this idea of forgiveness. It's helping them to, to flip the narrative of, of forgiveness. I love this verse, Luke seven forty seven. It says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who forgives little loves little. I tell kids that all the time. I tell students all that time. There was a young guy by the name of Cam. We called him Cam because he looked like Cam Newton. Um, and uh, we were in a, a Bible study. We are talking about some things. Out of nowhere, he says, I didn't cry. And all of us kind of stop. What are you talking about, I didn't cry? He's like, I didn't cry at the funeral. And I'm like, okay, like, there's obviously a story that I'm missing here, so tell me more about the story. He's like, yeah, you know, this past weekend, a lot of the guys, the football guys, came to the, uh, to the funeral, my mom's funeral, but I didn't cry. And I'm like, well, and we were all kind of just like dumbfounded, like, why didn't you cry? And he began to open up. He's like, I don't love my mother. She wasn't there when I needed her. She gave us up. And you could just tell as he shared bitterness. Even two weeks ago, talking to these girls, and they're like, I'm not going to forgive that girl. There's just the, the students that I work with, there's, there's some, not all of them, but there's, they struggle with bitterness. And part of my vocation is, is saying, hey, you know, you need, to, you, need to, you need to think differently. I want to flip the narrative for them. 
It's not about holding on to grudges. It's not about being bitter. It's about forgiving. It's about moving towards forgiveness. Moving towards forgiveness. Someone said, you know, bitterness is like drinking a cup of poison, a poison and expecting the other person to die. And that's what bitterness does for us. Listen, I don't know in your vocation, I don't know if in your field if you, you have to deal with forgiveness, but it's a, it's a universal thing that as humans we have, to, we have to walk through. And just my encouragement, my challenge to you guys this morning is not only use your influence, but move, move towards forgiveness. Move towards forgiveness. And I think this scripture really is our mandate for that. 2 Corinthians 5.18 all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. <laughs> he gave us, myself, all of us in this room, the ministry of reconciliation. We are to walk in that light. Again, I, I've shared two topics. They're kind of different topics, but again, very specific to the, the audience that I'm working with. Um, using your influence, moving towards forgiveness. But foundational to all this, foundational to all this is this, abiding Christ. Abiding Christ. I love the story of when Jesus walks on water, right? But prior to that, you know, we know the context of this, right? John the Baptist is beheaded, and Jesus is on his way to kind of get some alone time. To, I, I'm assuming to grieve the loss of someone he loved. Um, but the crowds catch wind of what Jesus is doing, and so they, what, they're following Jesus, right? And so the Bible says Jesus has compassion on them. He begins to heal those that are sick. His disciples are with him, and this is where he, he actually feeds the 5,000, right? Um, afterwards, he tells his disciples, hey, get into the boat, go over to the side, and he dismisses the crowd. And what does Jesus do? He goes up into a mountain to be alone, to pray. And Jesus himself modeled, he modeled this. I mean, abiding, I mean, it's kind of like, you get what I'm saying. He, he understood the importance of, of abiding, of abiding, of abiding. And whatever God has called us to, whatever vocation we're in, whether it's urban youth ministry, whether it's working with people at the United Nations, or whether it's, you know, studying proteins, like my brother Steve over here, like, right, I guess, he was telling me some stuff, I was like, what? <laughs> but whatever it is, I think foundational to any of this has to be abiding in Christ. We have to abide in Christ. Jesus, again, he modeled this all throughout his life from, you know, his, you know, his, when he inaugurated his ministry, right? He, abided, he, he spent time praying. He spent time praying 40 days in the desert. When he chose the 12, he spent all night praying. And I love Mark 135, which says, And in the morning, rising a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. He knew how to abide. He knew how to abide. One of my mentors, um, when I took over in this role, one of the things he said to me, and I have it on the screen, He said, keep your eyes on Jesus first, not the mission first. It is always Jesus first and last. And here's, here's a guy who, you could have told me, this is how you strategize. This is how you create a strategic plan. This is how you do all these things. This is how you fundraise. This is, how you... this is what he told me. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus first, not the mission first. It's always Jesus first and last. And that, that's my encouragement to you all this morning. Whatever vocation you're in, um, yeah, we use your influence. We move towards forgiveness, but we abide in Christ. That is paramount. That is foundational to what we do. So I'd love to, I'd love to pray for you guys. And then um, I, think, I think I was told to give you guys some time to maybe Q&A, but then also some of you guys got to rush out of here. So I'm going to pray. Um, and then I guess I can take some questions and answers, um, and then I'll share one more thing. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, for who you are. Um, thank you that we all, we all have a story. God, if we took time just to listen, we would be here all day. But God, you've used opportunities, you've used um, circumstances in our lives to shape who we are. And as a result, God, it even um, affects how we, it affects what we do. It affects who we minister to. Um, it affects the, the jobs we say yes to, the jobs we say no to, Lord. And God, you've given everyone in this room some, some measure of influence, God. God, I pray that they would use that influence for the furtherance of your kingdom. God, forgiveness is something that, you know, we could spend a whole day talking about that. But God, that we would, as believers, we would be ministers of reconciliation. And then, Lord, that we would abide in you. Um, that would be foundational to our lives. So, God, thank you for this time. Thank you. We praise in your son's name. Amen.